what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. By way of introduction, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at either EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, Work Proud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. Work Proud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. And they empower HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at workproud.com. With us today is Dr. Brad Wright, a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut, where he studies American Christianity, spirituality, and well-being. He has authored 50-plus articles and written two books, including Upside, Surprising Good News About the State of Our World. We'll be talking today about purpose and how it's experienced, among other things. He joins us today from Stores, Connecticut. Brad, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you. Uh, in, in accord with your intro, I'm, I'm proud to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. You know, and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but we met on LinkedIn. And when I saw what you were doing, I was like, you must come on the show and talk about that. <laughs> so thank you for be willing, being willing to be caught. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So so I just have to get right into it. Both of us are social scientists. We're both lovely geeks in that way. And you study, as we said, I said in the intro, spirituality and well-being, but also purpose. So let's get right into the nitty-gritty here. I want to get from your perspective what you've learned as to whether purpose in life can be intentionally discovered. Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right? Because a lot of times when people talk about discovering purpose, they talk about an organic journey, you know, something that they didn't have control over. Like you put a canoe in the water, you end up in the ocean, you say, this is wonderful, I got here. And if that's all there is, then we should be novelists. <laughs> right. In addition, <clears throat> there's the hope that there's things that we can do intentionally to get more purpose. So I suppose staying with the canoe analogy, you can paddle, you can choose your tributaries, you can you can do things that take you to a different place. And, and, and that's what I love about this area of study is that it there's both a strong organic compound to it and also a strong intentional compound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I have discovered, and you said this in one of your podcasts, um, the, the field of purpose is incredibly complex and profound. And one of the things I like to remind and teach people is that purpose is not an on or an off switch. It's not either here or, or not. Um, there's just so many layers and nuances to it. And why I guess both you and I here, we spent all these years studying and inquiring into it. One of the other things that you talked about, and I think it was one of your, one of your podcasts that I was listening to, um, you said that purpose might be randomly experienced or it might be patterned and predictable. And so if it is predictable and patterned, what are the patterns and how can they be reproduced for people who might want more purpose in their lives? Well, that's the big question that people like you and me deal with. We spend a lot of time talking with people about finding purpose. We observe, we listen, we read, and we start to look for patterns. Mm 
-hmm. And then we look for patterns among the patterns. And then maybe if we get lucky and we're good, we see patterns of the patterns of the patterns and we have like concise explanations for it. And so that's what I spent all my time teasing about uh, or trying to tease out is what are the what's the patterning of purpose? Um, I'll give you one, for example. Um, it's pretty common for people to engage purpose the most during transitions in their life. So you think, you know, say from 18 to I don't know, 78, maybe that's the purpose range. When people are engaged in purpose pursuits, it's not, it's not, you know, one part each year, one sixtieth each one of those years. Rather, it tends to be in times of transition. You come out of school, you come out of a marriage, you come out of a, your first job and it wasn't what you wanted. Your kids leave home, you retire. So that's an example of a pattern uh, that, that we see. And then you start seeing patterns of when people look for it and, and what they find and, and how they look for it. Mm-hmm. I got to say two things to what you just said there, Brad. One, uh, this notion of of uh, teasing out how people f- discover their purpose, and in my case, I'm very interested too in how they express it, which we're going to talk about later as well. Uh, so I'm just on the tail end of finishing up uh, curating an anthology of 25 women's stories from across the world who have discovered their purpose and are are pursuing it. And so, uh, guess who did not silence her phone? No, no. Um, <laughs> rule number one. So I, I'm I'm in the process now of categorizing their stories for so that as the as the anthology goes goes through, we can start to make sense of the progression of their stories. So I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to arrange the stories according to the expression of the purpose. Uh, it's just so exciting. I can't even tell you. I can't wait. It's it's coming out in the next couple of months. And anyway, so I'm curating that. And then the second thing I wanted to say about this notion of um, some of these stages or some of these events that help to spawn purpose. I can absolutely tell you, and I know you won't be shocked, that getting divorced five years ago was a fantastic catalyst for me to really, really clarify my purpose and to uh, enrich its expression. A huge catalyst for me. Yeah, there's an element of sometimes we decide we want to seek purpose, and sometimes we're thrown into needing to find purpose. So even our motivation has different layers to it, and it can be multifaceted. Yes. And in fact, one of the things I really wanted to talk about on the, on the heels of this whole conversation or this whole topic is you do say that um, we often discover more of our purpose in moments of distress. And some of our deepest insights regarding purpose come from these moments of distress. Will you say a little bit more about that? I mean, I mentioned my divorce, but what is it about these moments of distress that help us get access to our purpose? Uh, distress is clarifying. Um, the the great enemy of purpose, and by the way, that's a nice way to think about it. Instead of just thinking what creates purpose, you can think, well, what hinders purpose? Mm-hmm. And I, I've come to think that the great enemy, the great barrier to finding purpose is busyness. I don't I think it's, completely agree. I don't think it's evil. I don't think it's narcissism. I think it's busyness. And when we have tragedy in our life, sometimes it makes things more busy, but it tends to push us into what matters the most. It it tends to get us asking big questions because it's very disruptive. So maybe busyness and sort of routine combined keep us from purpose and distress, you know, blows that up, as we all know very well. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just started working this last Friday with a with a new leader in an organization, and she's really, really interested on delving into her purpose. And I think she's in her mid forties. And she said this is the first time it's really, really come up for her. And and she was sort of feeling, uh, she was sort of apologizing and and sort of begrudging that that's where she was in the moment. And I said, please don't do that to yourself. This is the society that we live in. We live in a very fast paced world. Um, until you until you catch your breath for a moment. It might not not occur for you to go looking for your purpose or try to understand it better. And and so I same thing I told her is the world is so busy and fast. She just happened to be going on vacation the next day, and so I told her I said when you go on vacation, spend a little bit of time because they were going to go out and be camping at a cabin. Go sit in the nature and just listen to the stillness. Listen to what what your being is trying to tell you and what's what's trying to be revealed for you. You need that stillness. So I completely agree with you about those barriers of busyness and routine getting in the way of of us getting access to our purpose. That is so crisp, Brad. I love that. Thank you. Um, I think your advice to use her vacation that way is brilliant because vacations and travel disrupt our daily routines in a very fruitful way. They, They give us space to think about things that could be different than they are. And that's so much a purpose is conceptualizing a different existence. Mm hmm. And that's it's hard work, and it needs space. It is hard work, and that's I want to really uh, draw attention to that because, and just this afternoon or this morning, I was having a really really yummy conversation with a, a young man who's thirty two, and he's really working at this. And I we, we have these really really philosophical and deep conversations every like few weeks, and you know I said I remember how it felt when I was your age on the journey, and he's he's working at this, and I said this is not for the faint of heart. If you really are going into this, this is real work, and it's worth it. It's worth every moment, every morsel of energy that it takes to do it. And and so to that end, I love what you also talked about here in one of your podcasts. Uh, and this is I want to spend a little time develop, or delving into each of these for our listeners. I like each for each show or each episode that they can walk away with something they can immediately put to work. And so you talk about four ways of engaging knowledge uh, as we're working toward our purpose, rational analysis, subconscious events and circumstances and signs. And uh, you say that we need to engage all four and and it's a practical to think about them in this way. So let's talk through each one of those. What do you mean by them and how how can we use them or engage them? Well, let me start off with a metaphor that will resonate with you in Texas, um, and that's finding oil. Now, Mm. I just thought of using this metaphor, so I didn't look up the specifics. But as I have read about how people discover oil or how companies discover oil, they use a number of different techniques. So they have like some sort of ground radar. They test the soil composition. They look at the topography. They do a number of things. And And if each of those different modes of discovery suggests something's there, then they draw a well. Okay. Likewise, when we pursue purpose, we can use different modes of discovery. We can use our rational analysis. We can just stop and think about it. We can use our subconscious. We could listen to our dreams. We can follow our intuitions. We can create experiences that give us a chance to test how we react to things. And then we can interpret what happens in our life. And you can add a divine spin to that or not in terms of our purpose. So using all four of those is the way to go in discovering purpose because they'll often teach you different things, but eventually they often converge into just a few things and and that's beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. So uh, it was interesting, and I know you 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 really did say that you're. If I had this right, you you really care about empirical research. Do I have that right? Okay. So so if you would, I, I, for those of our listeners, I'm going to guess that if just a few of them are scratching their heads, going, "Wait a minute, purpose and rational thinking. What do you mean by that? That just seems like they don't go together. It's not. It, I don't think those are normally talked about in the same sentence. So when you say rational thinking, what do you mean? Do you mean like? Um, you know, what am I naturally good at? What could I analyze to say that I actually know? Or what, what do you mean by rational knowledge? That's a, purpose? that's a great example. Uh, that's a great question. So what does it mean to analyze something that's so sort of ethereal and sublime as purpose? Yes. Something is, you know, basically we're applying a uh, spreadsheet logic to it. Uh, so how, you know, how can you find purpose with a spreadsheet, which is rational thinking? Um, you can analyze your life. You can analyze your life up until this point, you can analyze other people's lives. And any one of those analyses will help you. I'll give you an example. A good exercise that I've found has helped people I work with is to I have them list 20, 25 activities they do regularly. Then I give them a five by five grid um, with meaning and happiness on each dimension. So you have uh, 25 cells. So I told you that's empirical. I, I, I'm just <laughs> I like getting it. started here. I like it. Then I say, Place each one of those uh, activities in one of the cells based on how much purpose and me- uh, how much meaning and happiness it gives you. So low meaning, low happiness would be bottom left. High meaning, high happiness would be bottom uh, top right. And then you go from there. When people do that, that just kind of straightforward analysis and plotting, they always have these ahas of, wow, why don't I do more of what's in the top right? Why am I spending so much time in the top left? How mm-hmm. can I move things up into the right? Mm, you know what's so great about this? I This is almost exactly the spirit of the conversation I was having with this new leader I was working with on Friday. And she was talking about how she, you know, she's just feeling overwhelmed because she's got all these things she's doing in life. And I'm like, do you need to be doing all those things? How, how many of those things could you actually outsource or find a who to do them? currently reading a book called Who Not How, which is really about how do you enroll people in your life to help you achieve your vision because you can't do it by yourself. Uh, so that's, you know, she, I'm like, do you really have to spend four and a half hours uh, uh, every other week cleaning your house? Really? Uh, do you really have to clean your oven? Do you really have to do all these things that someone else is going to do for you? So I really appreciate that clarity. Now, one of the other things that you talk about too is, is events. Um, by the way, I do I do chronicle my my dreams. I went in the morning. I actually write what I what I dream about because I am looking into my subconscious to see what I can learn from that. So I, I certainly get that. But events, uh, you made a, a some kind of a comment about you know what if somebody almost falls off a cliff or does fall off a cliff. So what, how do events help us clarify or understand our purpose? Well, that actually was a true story. One of my podcast guests um, fell a hundred feet a 10-story building high wow. uh, fall off of a cliff rock climbing. His uh, part, his climbing partner made a mistake and let go of a rope when he shouldn't have. And this, uh, my friend, or uh, now friend, hit the bottom, shattered his leg, but he bounced. Mm. He didn't die. And it's astonishing he didn't die. But that changed how he saw the world thereafter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a dramatic example. For the most part, we don't want to be throwing ourselves off at cliffs to find purpose. That's usually recommended against. But (laughs) there are things that happen in our life that can have meaning. You meet somebody. You get fired. um, Your house sells. Your house doesn't sell. um, Some event, there's a tragedy in your your, uh, community. All of these can prompt or clarify your purpose. 
Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That was so helpful. It's already time for our first break. It goes so fast. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're there with Dr. Brad Wright, a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut, where he studies American Christianity, spirituality, and well-being. We've been talking a bit about his studies and what he's learned about purpose. After the break, we're going to get more into how it's experienced. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. As I've watched the pandemic continue on and we look for ways to help companies support their employees handle the anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing professional development. We now offer a well-being webinar learning series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Wellbeing from the Inside Out. I know you can relate to that, Dr. Wright. You can learn more about it at EliseCortez.com or send me an email to Elise at EliseCortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Dr. Brad Wright, a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut. He's the author of 50-plus articles, and one of his books is entitled Upside, Surprising Good News About the State of Our World. He joins today from Stores, Connecticut. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so now for this next segment here, Brad, I I think it's really interesting how you are riveted on the the notion of the experience of purpose. I think most people have the idea that it would be pretty good to, to, to live from your purpose, but I don't think there's a lot of people that really understand that very well. So I really definitely wanted to make sure that we talked about it. And um, I love your School of Purpose podcast. What a great name for a podcast <laughs> and for an inquiry, but I just love that. And so you say that you interview people who have found purpose in their lives and from their stories, we learn about how purpose works and we are inspired to have more in our own lives. We also feature um Um, experts as well. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you've learned about how people experience purpose. Well, when people experience purpose, their life is different. So thankfully, I uh, have not had COVID. But the people I know who have had it said that they feel different when they have COVID than when they don't. By analogy, we feel different. Our life is different when we experience purpose. And there's a number of symptoms, I guess, symptoms of purpose. Uh, One is people have a lot more energy. You get out of bed kind of with a spring in your step. You don't dread getting out of bed because you have something in front of you that you want to launch yourself into. Mm -hmm. Um, Another is that you often get into flow. Uh, so flow is a psychological state that involves sort of losing consciousness of time and, and, and the world around you because you get so focused on what you're doing. Um, another symptom that I've, I've heard often is that uh, what you're doing feels very meaningful. It's, uh, it has significance to you. You're not just wondering why you're doing it. Um, I was talking to a, a, a former student of mine who has a very well-paying job at a company you would have heard of, a tech company. 
And I said, how do you like your job? He said, you know, most days I, I'm between, I don't care and I kind of like it. Wow. Okay, that's not purpose. Yeah. That's no, not it's purpose. not. And uh, so that's, uh, I guess, a good negative example of what it is not to have it be meaningful. Uh, so those are some of the, the, the indicators that I've seen of purpose. Mm-hmm. I'll add a couple more and see what your take is on this. This is based on my experience and some of my research, too. But um, I know I've had Nick Craig on my show as well from Boston, and uh, he talks about that uh, courage gives us, excuse me, um, purpose gives us crazy courage oftentimes to pursue these these kinds of uh, love it, it, right? Courage to go after these things. I definitely have done crazy things high on on purpose that I wouldn't have done if I if I weren't high on purpose. Um, it, it also changes our our relationship with stress. It redirects it positively so that we we actually experience more of the good side of stress to power us through versus the negative downside of stress. I don't know if you've ever come across any of that. Okay, because mm -hmm. you're a well-being guy, so uh, <laughs> as, I, as I am. And then finally, the other thing that he says that I really, really, really like is that um, the thing about being about living from purpose is that it gives us access to a fuller spectrum of to the human um, instrument of emotions. So mm -hmm. we we have a greater access to you know you know feel it much more deeply and and broadly. So you know we can experience euphoria, we can experience confusion, we can experience you know, awe, and we can also experience doubt and vulnerability. But the thing about about living in purpose is that it lets us have a greater, deeper access to what it is to be a fully human person. And I think that's astounding. Yes. Um, another one, and I love the crazy courage that I hadn't thought of it in that, that term, in those terms, but I, he's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that when you're doing something purposeful, purposeful, it feels authentic to who you are. It's yeah. like, Oh, this is just right. So it's almost like if you're trying on clothes and you try on, you know, shirt after shirt or jacket after jacket, and then one just slides on like it was built, it was it was designed and 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 constructed exactly for you. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how purpose feels. Like, oh yeah. The flip side of that is that everybody's sense of purpose is different than somebody else's. It's not one size fits all. Right. So when you're talking about purpose, you're talking about tailored clothing rather than off the off the, the rack. It, it's it's exactly right for you. And so that's what it feels like. It just feels very authentic. You know what I love about what you're doing? So one of the things that I, I I'm a meaning and work researcher, I've been investigating that for years, and I for my PhD dissertation, and then some, some postdoc research, I discovered these 15 modes of engagement um, that take into account how important your work is to who you are, your identity, and what levels that you're registering for for that. And I discovered one mode called living your purpose. And essentially, um, you're, you and the work are inseparable. Um, there is no way to distinguish one from the other. You are it, and it is you. And uh, it is very important who you are because it's it's like, to your point, it's the cloth you're made of. It's And it's how you're showing yourself in the world, who you're being in the world. And uh, it's it's the second highest um, level that I found just under transcendent connection. Transcendent connection is as the people that are um, generally facilitating connection with 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 God. When so a lot of them were pastors and rabbis and priests and and spiritual counselors and such. But anyway, so the way you describe that is is very much in alignment with how I talk. We can almost we'll almost finish each other's sentences. I'm guessing on that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be well, fun? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right about the importance of work and purpose. And I mean, I, I find even your you, kind of your jingle in between episodes inspiring. It's like, yeah, I want more purpose in my work. Um, <laughs> I heard Tony Robbins say once that he didn't believe in work-life balance. He believed in work-life integration. Yes, yes. And I thought that was a very pithy and profound way to put it. Mm-hmm. I use that same phrase. Now. I, I think that's the most, um, the, well, actually, the latest one is work-life harmony. Oh, nice. That's the, the latest way to talk about it. So we went from balance to integration. And I think harmony is the latest. And I like that, too. So um, now I have to get into, too, at this School of Purpose. You I, And I'd, lo- I'd love to hear how you did this. It seems that you've convened a group of scholars, practitioners, and students who study how people find purpose. And you together have identified processes and created strategies to help guide people in their journey. So first, how did you compile this group of people? And what are some of these strategies or processes that you work with? Well, this is one of the joys of being a professor, is that you have all these students where you teach, and some of them are really smart. Mm -hmm. And so I give them the opportunity to do research with me, and they have to have a really high GPA to do it. And I get great, uh, see, I'm old enough, I call them kids, but I I need to be respectful and call them uh, young scholars. And uh, we meet every week and we talk about these things. And they collect data and they interview people, and they try to make sense of what's happening in their world in their friend's world, in in the world of the university, and then in the world of like their older relatives as it relates to purpose. And then from that, we get more general lessons. Um, I'll tell you one lesson that's come up recently is I've had them interviewing students about their parents' influence on their purpose. Hmm. And we've come up with a handful of ways that that parents try to influence the purpose of college students. So it can be laissez-faire, it can be directive, it can be corrective, uh, it can be supportive, encouraging. For me, the the broader lesson there is that we don't find our purpose in a vacuum, that we have expectations from our family, our friends, our culture, ourselves, that are often not in line with our purpose. And, And that's a big part of finding our purpose and enacting it, is that we have to be willing to let go of those expectations or distance ourselves from them. So I I use the analogy of if you're driving down the road and a lot of other people are on it, if you're going to find your purpose, you're basically getting off the road and off-roading. It's just, Mm -hmm. you're leaving the beaten path. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I I was just reading, um, I'm part of a group called uh, Global Purpose Leaders, uh, Brandon Peel, who's been on my radio show and Hollywood's also on my show are are part of that and stewarding that. And I reading what something they put out is they talk about how purpose is re- is revealed to you it's not something that you can really just go out and just say that you know declare it or or even even to some degree even discover it, it sort of has a revelation process um, which why i like your idea of the off-roading to go off to be to get access and be present to it um, i like to talk about it as you know what is it what is it your soul what is your soul is desperately trying to whisper to you that you can't hear Yes. Okay. So that is something that has really confounded me for some time. And I just read something by uh, Robert Johnson, who uh, has passed away, but he's a Jungian psychologist. Mm-hmm. And he actually worked with Jung. And um, he made a, a brilliant point about this. And that is, he said that our, um, our rational mind is fantastic for, and he didn't use the word purpose, but he meant basically the same thing, for finding purpose when it comes to collecting information. He said that our mind is the eyes and ears of God, mm. but we have to wait for our soul to tell us which way to go. Oh, that's our brilliant. Our mind is 
great at identifying options and understanding them. Because the problem is, if you go with just intuition, you're, you're scratching lottery tickets. Right. If you go with just analyses, you can't get to anything more important than the spreadsheet. But you combine them and you have this beautiful interplay between the mind and the soul and uh, th that I value quite a bit. So I would agree with what they said and I would incorporate it with uh, rational thought, as I just mentioned. Mm. Isn't this just a yummy conversation? You know, I, this is why I love hosting the show. And, you know, really what I see you doing with your undergrad students is together you're really advancing the, the, the inquiry and the dialogue of purpose, among other things, whatever else you're, you're experiencing or whatever you're investigating. And I'm doing the same thing on this radio show. I'm advancing the conversation by curating its contents to move it along toward a higher level of inquiry and understanding around purpose. Uh, work, inspirational leadership, and and conscious capitalism. And so it's just, it's so, in, I love that you actually, so you have a group of students, and I have this ongoing series of guests like you do too. So it's a similar kind of approach. Um, one thing that aren't, you talk about, sorry, go ahead, Brad. Aren't we fortunate? We are. I'm so grateful. It's just, I'm, I pinch myself very frequently. That's why I've got all these bruises, in case you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you talk about something that I don't think I've really heard anybody else say, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, because you advance the dialogue. But you say applied purpose is an opportunity. So first, what do you mean by applied purpose, and how is it an opportunity? Okay, so this is, this is the off-road side of me as a scholar. <laughs> Most people, when they study purpose, study how it exists as a phenomenon, and they study it in its natural setting. So if we were studying a disease, they'd be epidemiologists. You know, the, the epidemiology of purpose. How does it affect people? What does it do? But I've gotten really interested in the study of how to change purpose, the study of purpose interventions. And I haven't seen a lot of studies of purpose interventions other than um, a handful of studies of a given intervention. But it's almost like, if you're going to study a disease, do you study how it spreads in the wild or do you study what affects it, how, what cures it or what changes its symptoms? Because you can say both they're different enterprises. And so the, the latter is what I'm calling applied purpose. And that is the study of how to cultivate purpose, the study of how people bring it about, yeah, like the work that you do with your consulting. And... I just think it's fascinating. And, you know, if, if you can really understand something, you, you're able to change it. So why not study how to change it? Mm. I really like that. And here's why. I, I, I see purposes, the words meaning and purpose are probably some of the now most overused <laughs> words that are ill uh, Ill applied than, than than I can possibly imagine. They're well intentioned, right? But it's because people want them. They're elusive. They don't really understand them. So I really like what you're doing. About you're take you're really taking it and using that empirical approach that you do to to really get access to them and and generate them into your world and your existence in a productive way. And I think that is in, this is what we need, Brad. It's like the next next several level, levels up. I feel the same way. I'm just so excited about it. I have a new team of students coming on in September. And honestly, I want to ask them if they'll work with me through the summer. I'm just so excited to do this. Oh, that's so great. It should be like that. 
All right, let's take our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Brad Wright, professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut, where he studies American Christianity, spirituality, and well-being. We've been talking about the notion of how we experience purpose and its many manifestations. After the break, we're going to learn more about some of his other areas of inquiry, like the subconscious. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. I mentioned after the first break about the Grab Your Gusto Wellbeing webcast learning series. The content from that program is adapted from part one of my book, which is called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause, which is now available on Amazon. And I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and their purpose and help them transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. If you're just joining us, my guest is joining us from Stores, Connecticut, Dr. Brad Wright. He's a professor of sociology at the University of Connecticut. And he, I was about to say he was working on his next book, but he's actually working on several different different articles and has two books out already. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next segment here, it's so interesting what you get to do. I'm, I'm envious, right, because I'm such a such a geek myself, and I'm a, I'm a researcher too. Um, but I'm very interested in your studies on the subconscious. So what I want to ask you is, what have you learned about the subconscious in relation to purpose or even behavior change, if you want to take that one on? Okay. So I'm happy to talk about it as long as you don't think I'm an expert with the subconscious, with behavior change I am. Okay, fair enough. So subconscious was off my radar. The subconscious was off my radar with purpose. I was thinking in terms of analysis and experience because, you know, as a social scientist, I study what can be measured. But time and time again, the subconscious kept on coming up in the stories that I heard, the people I interviewed, what I read, and then in my own life. And I started finding that the most productive ways, some of the most productive ways of finding purpose involved basically hacking the subconscious or listening to it. And so that's how I got interested in it. Hmm. That's so interesting. Um, so I'm always every I invest in myself. Um, every year I go and I do some kind of a program somewhere just to continue, to keep learning. And this year I did um, PSI's uh, seven days uh, work, which is really, I would say that it, it's really designed to uncover your shadows. And so it's shadow work kind of thing. So um, it's designed to see where where it serves you up a whole week of getting your buttons pushed and seeing where do you have work to be able to do. And you start to notice some stuff. Isn't that cool? Look at the look on your face. Oh, my what, goodness. I love it. Shadow work is the best. Well, and I, I don't have I haven't done a lot of shadow work yet. So I want I'm trying to do everything that I can right to be on this journey. So so the notion of shadows and subconscious is really interesting. Dreams are really fascinating. Have you have you studied dreams at all? I am an enthusiastic 
probably an obnoxiously enthusiastic amateur at okay. dream interpretation. I just discovered it three, four months ago. Um, had a guest on my show who talked about it. I read some of the books she recommended. I went to some of her dream circles. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea dreams could be interpreted. And I had no idea that they had so much to say. It's remarkable. It's a, here's the analogy I use. There's digital computers that we all use. They're on our desks. There's also quantum computers. They use an entirely different logic. They're good for an entirely different kind, different kind of problem that like physicists and like Google use uh, for some things. Our mind and our subconscious work as one as, as, the, as the two combined. And we can get so much more done when we're paying attention to our subconscious and the different ways it's connecting. So basically, I've come to view, I used to view the subconscious as almost like your, your stomach just digesting food. You don't have to pay attention to it, just as doing some work. Now I'm thinking it has as many messages for me as my rational mind, mm -hmm. and they're both committed to my well-being. And I've been so silly to have ignored it for so long. Mm. If I have this right, and listeners who've been to PSI, you can come and correct me if I don't have it right. But I think I remember in the three-day session that PSI gave last June here in Dallas, uh, Cortland Warren gave that. He's fantastic at his work as a facilitator. And I'm pretty sure that he said that the subconscious works to make what we want come true. Does that sound right to you? Does that sound it right sure to you? It sure does. Okay. So listeners and viewers, if I'm wrong about that and you have another view about it, get a hold of me and set me straight. But uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So um, now we go on to the, this idea here, this notion of how purpose in life is enacted. It's sort of like what we've been talking about before, but I think it's, a, it's, it's actually another step beyond. So discovering purpose in life is only the start, which we, bo we both agree we've been talking about. The next step is to live it out. And that's one of my big things. That first book was about awakening passion and purpose. The next book that I'm writing is about is about activating it, doing something with it, bringing it into the world. So, but you say that this means changing behavior, which is often extremely difficult. So in this one, this is your area, right? Behavior change is, is your jam. So talk to us a little bit about how we can change our behaviors. So I love your distinction between discovering purpose and enacting purpose. Mm -hmm. If you discover it and, it and don't enact it, that puts you in a very painful place of yes. you, know what, you know what your life is to be about, but you never got around to it. Yes. And so I love your emphasis on acting on it. I would say in terms of behavior, um, a good approach is to start making small bets, start trying small, um, small experiments to give you a sense of how to enact it. So um, my son is in the software industry. He uses the phrase uh, agile development, mm -hmm. where you, you create a lot of, you create a prototype and you test it right away. So for example, if you think that you want to be a K through 12 teacher, don't ignore that, but also don't necessarily quit your job and go sign up for it. Instead, find a place where you can volunteer for a week. Mm -hmm. um, you'll meet people, you'll develop skills, it'll give you a sense of what to do. And so I guess that's what I would say is uh, start small and move forward. Okay. Uh, I like that. And I'll add on to that as well. A couple of years ago, I had Jeff Hayden on my show. Um, oh, he's great. He, 
You like, isn't he wonderful? Jeff, oh, you're that so smart. Two of us love you. <laughs> um, he is very smart. And he wrote a book um, called the something about the myths, the myths of motivation or something like that, motivational myths. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how he, so he studied really, really uh, accomplished people and wanted to understand how it is they achieve so much. One of the things that he discovered is that it's not about them being motivated. It's that they motivated themselves by always taking the, ne- doing the next right thing. So in other words, putting themselves in some kind of a perpetual motive, um, movement toward their goals. And it was that movement that gave them the energy and the, and the juice and the belief that they were making progress and pulled them forward. So I think that's kind of what you're saying, too. Yes, it's very similar to that. Yeah. Like yeah. That. He's a lovely man. I, that's another great thing, right? I mean, I get to read all these great books and, and talk to people that are, that are amazing and up to something in life. So every week, it's good for me. Um, so now we talk a little bit about this, and I know you've written about this in some of your articles and you speak about it and you, you teach on it, but I'm very intrigued with your inquiry of how to change your behavior to have a better life, not just in purpose, but a better life. Yeah. What have you learned there? So I've had a chance to work with some of the, the luminaries in the field. I worked with, uh, wrote an article with Roy Baumeister mm-hmm. uh, who, yep. of, of willpower fame. Um, I had a chance to have some in-depth training with BJ Fogg of Tiny Habits and I read widely for a number of years on behavior change and everything ended up settling down into one of three categories. You either change your environment or you change your motivation or you exert self-control. So if you want to change behavior, then you want to think of one of those three things, change your environment to make it easier to do a behavior, do something to motivate yourself or do something to give you more self-control because all three are involved. I'll give you an example of motivation. This is an easy hack for changing a behavior. If you want to start doing something regularly, read a book every night for about five or 10 minutes of somebody who does it or advocates it. So if you want to try a new, I did this when I uh, went on basically a paleo diet, uh, Whole30 is what I went on. Every night for a month, I read a book on Whole30. Now, not the whole book, just like five, 10 minutes worth. And that, that sort of contagion of their views and their attitudes and their information uh, came on to me and that motivated me. Mm-hmm. Then I also changed my um, environment where I didn't have the junky food that I had been eating. I got rid of them. And then I minded my self-control. I made sure I got to sleep at night at a regular time. And that gave me you know, the oomph to say no when I wasn't used to say no to uh, uh, Cheetos and ice cream and, and at, at all. Mm-hmm. So I got to say two things. Well, I'll say one thing that I have another question for you on that regard. Um, so for me and my work, um, the way that I build motivation, and I love the idea, I, re- I read a ton and it's definitely inspiring and motivating for me. And another thing that I do is, is um, as, a, as an inspirational speaker and working from, from passion and inspiration as my platform is, is helping people to create the vision that they want for themselves in the world and, and, or, or they want in their lives, right? If, if it's a dietary thing, it's to be healthy or maybe it's to get into the outfit and look smashing or whatever it is, but really being pulled by the the inspirational vision that you want to live into as opposed to you know the stick or the push kind of motivation which is you know if i don't do this i'm gonna have to go to the doctor and get that operation or whatever it is which is more of a it's a need sort of motivation and instead of a uh, or a drive sort of motivation instead of um that more of the inspirational space so i i like that very much and, and that's a way they can craft it of their of their own 
making according to what's important to them. And I think that aligns very well with the idea of reading something every night in the space that you want to be in. So you're really grounding and better able to delineate that vision for yourself and make it so clear that, you know, it's right in front of your face. I can get it. Right. So I love that. And then uh, the next question I want to drill down on is how would you change your environment? What do you mean by that? Oh, so that's a great question. Um, there's some research that came out of the University of Chicago a number of years ago on what they called nudging. And that is you change your behavior, so, uh, change your environment. So it's harder to do what you don't want to do. And it's easier to do what you do want to do. Mm. Uh, so BJ Fogg is a great example. He wanted to start eating healthier so he could lose weight. So he completely redid his re the interior of his refrigerator. He bought a bunch of those glass Pyrex uh, storage, food storage containers. And every Sunday, he and his partner chop up food, put it in those that they like to eat that's healthy, put it in those containers, and put them on the front of the shelves. That way, all week, when they open it up, the easiest thing to do is to eat the healthy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so Scott Adams of uh, Dilbert fame said, I will always do what's easiest, so I make the easiest thing to do the, the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. I like that. I really like that. Um, I, I have found that for me, um, I am I'm from Oregon originally, so I actually really quite like the darker wet days. I find them really given for contemplation and peaceful and, you know, settling. I just really, really like that. Um, but I also find that I, uh, no surprise, I derive tremendous energy from from sunshine, from light. And so what I find is that if I if I know that I need to do, to do something um you know, where I, it's going to take me a lot of energy. I tend to go seek parts of my, my office or my home that have that heavy duty light. If I want to be more, you know, really, really concentrated, maybe I'm writing or I'm analyzing or I'm producing a report for a client. I, uh, that, 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 um, more dark environment works better for me. And so I've, I've just found that that's what works best for me. So when you said something about environment and, you know, trying to really motivate yourself or change your behavior accordingly, that's kind of where my mind went. Those are great examples. I like them. Mm. Thank you. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, and so this is what I would say to listeners and viewers. One thing that I'm very, very much um, big on is this notion that we as human beings can always grow, learn, and change. I, I one of my pet peeves is when people say, well, that's just the way that I am, or that's just my personality. Well, there's a, there's amazing things you can do to change that. Um, if you are motivated enough and you really can see the benefit of change, there's a lot you can do. And of course, I wouldn't do the work that I do if I if I didn't think you could change and learn and grow, um, and so that for me is an ongoing lifetime thing. So um, let's let's keep it that. Um, we are already at the end of the show, Dr. Wright. So I want to leave you with the with the ability to close the show as you like. You know the show is listened to by people across the globe. They're really interested in being able to create in, uh, workplaces where people can experience meaning and grow to their best and develop themselves as inspirational leaders and do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave them with? Two things. One, realize that finding your purpose is shockingly important. <laughs> What good is it climbing the ladder if the ladder is leaning against the wrong building? So that's something I heard Jack Canfield say that uh, has always stuck with me. And secondly, there's lots of ways of finding purpose. I'll give you a quick hack. Do little experiments to see if you like something. Anytime you think you might be drawn to something, go find a way of doing it for an hour or two or even a day and see how you react. Don't let those little impulses... Um, go unacted upon because you won't know until you act and those little 
those little niggles and dreams and, and feelings we have, those are the things of purpose. Mm, what a beautiful way to finish, Brad. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing in the world and for sharing it with the rest of us and all of your books, your articles, through your students, through your research. It's a gift. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's a pleasure being on your show, Elise. And uh, I think you're just doing great work and I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you. I am grateful I get to do it. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Dr. Brad Wright, his books, his podcasts, start by visiting his personal website. It's bradleywrightphd.com. Let me spell that for you. Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, phd.com. Bradleywrightphd.com. And thanks again to our partner and sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback and thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch a recorded podcast. I took the show on the road as I was performing an employee engagement survey for a client in West Texas in the Panhandle, and I had my colleague, Sherry Elliott Yuri join me. We talked about why companies conduct employee engagement surveys to remain in communication with employees to use their feedback for ongoing continuous improvement and connection. Next week, we'll be on the air with Susan Lucci talking about her work as a soulful facilitator, circle convener, and purpose guide. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so Let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.